Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Thank you. <laughs> so great to see everybody. Last year, um, last Easter, I was in this room. My son Isaac was in the sound booth, and maybe Zach Collins as well, and that was it. So it is great to see all the familiar faces and new faces. Welcome to Saving Grace Church. Welcome uh, to Easter Sunday. For those of you watching online, um, I know that many of you want to be here in person, but just aren't able to yet. So welcome and good morning to you as well. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you. For a beautiful Easter morning, thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son. Holy Spirit, we pray that we would have eyes to see more of you today. We have ears to hear your spirit speaking to us. We pray that we would be changed and different because of this morning. And Lord, we pray you would minister to those watching online in a very particular and encouraging way. And we ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, guess what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about Jesus being risen from the grave. The title of the message is The Tomb Was Empty. And a number of you uh, watching online or in the room were probably here on Friday or watching on Friday where we had our Good Friday service. It's a community service where we have seven speakers speak on the seven last sayings of Jesus. And it's an extremely encouraging uh, community service, and just a reminder that Jesus suffered, bled, and died in our place on our behalf. And now this morning, we're going to look at what happened on the third day. But to, to engage us this morning, I want you to um, imagine that we are back in time. We are back in the days where Jesus walked on the earth and we are there, and you're going to picture and imagine what you might be thinking and seeing. Uh, the only difference is I want you to imagine that these things existed when we're back there. So smartphones are a thing back in Jesus' time, and the internet was happening, okay? So as you have that in your mind, I want you to imagine that it was Good Friday, and you, you get home and you turn on your phone, you turn on your television, you turn on your computer, you're looking at your news feeds, and you see things like this. The, the title, the news feed says, Miracle Worker Crucified for Crimes He Did Not Commit. Miracle Worker Killed for Crimes He Did Not Commit. And if you're like me, what I like to do is read the comment section. That's where the real news is found. So imagine what some of the, the comment section might say. Things like, I knew he was a fake. I knew he was a fake. Some savior he was. Or I'm sure this would be there. He must have done something really bad that no one knew anything about. So then you go to sleep. You wake up the next morning. You look at your phone again. You look at the news feed. You turn on television. You get on your computer. And the news of Jesus isn't even on the, the front of the screen. Shepherd boy finds his lost sheep. That's the news of the day, that Saturday morning. And Jesus is forgotten. 
Then you go to bed, you get up the next morning, it's now Sunday morning, checking your newsfeed. The tomb is empty, big exclamation point. The tomb is empty. Well, what's this all about? So you check on, you click on, start reading the, the comment section. One person says, I told you there was something really special about this man. Another says, it's probably all a hoax. And then you're just on with your day. Well, these two events, the crucifixion and the resurrection, are two things that really happened and really matter for our lives. And so when we're going to look at Luke, the book of Luke today, and we're going to go through some of the details of the resurrection, and we're going to ask questions, and we're going to approach it um, sort of like an investigative reporter. So maybe with a little skepticism, we're going to ask questions. We're going to ask hard questions. And as we ask those questions, we're going to see that there are real answers in the Bible for those questions. And we're eventually going to be looking at Luke chapter 24. But before we do that, we're going to look at Luke chapter 1. Because the author of the book of Luke, he actually approached the book of Luke, the writing of Luke, as sort of an investigative reporter. He was a medical doctor by trade, but he asked lots of questions and gathered lots of information. So take a look at this, or just look at the screen behind me. Luke chapter 1. This is Luke's introduction to his book. Inasmuch as I had undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that had been accomplished among us, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And here's the purpose of his book. That you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. That you may have certainty, that you may know for certain that Jesus is God, that he is real, that he is the savior of the world, that he came to seek and save the lost. That you may know without a shadow of a doubt. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible, you can flip over to Luke 24, pull it up on your phone. And here's the questions we're going to consider today. Why was the tomb empty? What clues, if any, did Jesus leave behind before he was crucified? How do we know that Jesus' resurrection wasn't just a hoax, a scam, a clever trick? And then lastly, how should we respond to the facts? So put your investigative mind on, and we're going we're gonna to unpack these questions. Point, or question number one, why was the tomb empty? Why was the tomb empty? Look at Luke 24, verse 1 and following. But on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood with them by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. 
So let's ask some more questions to get our minds around this. First question we want to know is, who were the they? Who, who went to the tomb? Who, who are these people? Well, we know from later on in this passage and from the other gospel accounts, these were women that, that loved Jesus, that were followers of Jesus for quite some time, and they were going with spices to prepare the body, Jesus' dead body, um, since he had been crucified. And so I want you to imagine the emotion of that. So these are people that love Jesus, ladies that loved Jesus, and so their hearts are heavy. They're filled with grief. They're probably walking to the tomb and not talking to each other much, probably not looking at each other, probably just, just in great loss and sadness and sorrow. And they're going to be in for the surprise of their life. The first surprise is they get there, the big stone is rolled away, and, and inside there's two men. And the Bible says these men have dazzling apparel. So these weren't just like sharply dressed men. These men were angels sent from God with an announcement, with news. And verse 4 says they were perplexed about this. They were wondering, what, what is this that we are seeing? Why are these dazzling angels before us? Verse 5, and as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground so they didn't know what to do. So just the fact that they bowed before them, they knew that these weren't normal human beings. And so just imagine you're them. The one you put all your hope in has been crucified in a gruesome way. You're going to do a kind act for him. He's not even there. And there are angels. Well, the angels begin to give them some explanation. They have some news to share. The first thing they're going to tell them is why the tomb is empty. Why Jesus is not indeed there. But the first thing they do is they ask them a question. The angels ask the women a question. Okay, here's the question. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why do you seek the living among the dead? Why are you looking for someone who is alive in a grave? Why are you doing that? Well, they would have been thinking, we are looking for him in this grave because he was crucified. We saw him die. We watched him with our own eyes. And he is lifeless. And he was buried. That's why we're looking here. They didn't say any of that. They're just listening. And you can imagine, this isn't in the passage, but probably some of them, hope has begun to rise. Maybe just a, a little glimmer of hope. Well, maybe, maybe he's actually alive. But the angels have more to say. The angels go on to say, after they ask their question, he's not here, but he has risen. Jesus, whom you're looking for, he's not in the tomb anymore. He's not in the grave. He's risen. You imagine maybe that, we don't know all the ladies' personalities, but in a group, there's probably one that's more outspoken than the rest. What'd you say? What'd you say, angels? He's alive. Jesus is alive. So now you can imagine if you're those ladies, your attention is fixed on the angels' announcements. You want to know, what are they going to say next? And they're going to give some of the clues that Jesus himself left behind. So this is point number two. What clues did Jesus leave behind? 
The angels are going to tell them. Look at verse 6. After they say he's not here, but he's risen, now they're going to jog their memory. Remember, remember this. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. Okay, what did he tell us? Here's some of the things he told us. That the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Remember what he said. Remember Jesus showed his cards a number of times while he was on earth. He said it, he showed his cards with his words. He predicted his death and resurrection. He also showed his cards by demonstrating miracle after miracle after miracle. But let's consider just his words that the angel the angels are saying. The son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise. Now we may read that too quick at times. So one thing that the angels say right away that would catch the attention of every Jewish person who knew their Old Testament was this phrase, the Son of Man. Remember how he told you that the Son of Man must be delivered. See, if we were Old Testament Jews, we would know that that phrase, the Son of Man, in this context, comes from the book of Daniel, where Daniel has this vision of this future Son of Man that will one day come, that will be an eternal king that will come to save and rescue. Let me read a part of the vision from Daniel 7. Daniel says this, I saw in the night vision, and behold, the clouds of heaven, there came One like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. This is an eternal king who didn't just come for one group of people, but came for all people. Which shall not pass away and his kingdom is one that shall never be destroyed. See, remember, when Jesus came onto the scene in his ministry, that the kingdom of God had arrived. The rule and reign of God had arrived. And for that to happen, we need a king. And the king is Jesus. Now, the confusing part, both for the women who love Jesus and we'll see for the disciples, is they never pictured the king doing what Jesus did on Good Friday. They didn't, they didn't have that in their mind, even though it was in the Old Testament Scriptures. They didn't realize that this king was going to suffer, bleed, and die in the place of sinners. was going to absorb the wrath of God upon himself. But we learn from this vision in Daniel that this Son of Man is eternal. And in order for Jesus to be this, He has to conquer sin. He has to conquer death. He has to rise from the grave. He has to be a king for not just the Jewish people, but for all people. And that's who he is. And so in their announcement, they say, the Son of Man must be delivered. He must be crucified. And he must rise on the third day. 
See, Jesus knew this, and he, he said this to his disciples and to the crowds numerous times. On one occasion, he said it this way in Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus knew even the King of kings, the one who has no beginning, the one who is fully God, who became man and came to earth. He's the servant of servants. He came to die, to pay the price, to ransom people for God. That's who was supposed to be in this tomb that's empty right now. And then, as the angels spoke, maybe one by one, they began to remember, oh yeah, he did say that. Oh yeah. You remember when he said that? Do you remember when he said it here? Do you remember when he said it that way? Do you remember when John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? And they might have began to just encourage each other with things that Jesus had said. And for them, faith is beginning to rise in their hearts. Oh, we think this is true. We think Jesus actually rose. And so, the next thing they want to do is let's go tell the apostles, the ones who have been trained by Jesus, that Jesus is actually alive and angels told us. So keep in mind, this is the future of Christianity. These are the guys that were handpicked by Jesus to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. So how do you think they respond? Let's look. Verse 9, And returning from the tomb, they, the women, told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. There were others gathered as well. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. So they're ready to break the news. We got, we got the most incredible news. And keep in mind, these men loved Jesus, and so they were grieved and mourning his loss as well. Unfortunately, they didn't believe him at first. Verse 11, but these words seemed like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The future leaders of Christianity rejected the news of the resurrection. It's an idle tale. You're probably just filled with emotion right now. Probably just want this to be true, and it's not. They didn't believe him. Except for one had more hope and happens to be the one who denied even knowing Jesus two days earlier verse 12 but Peter rose and he ran to the tomb Wanted to see with his own eyes I can relate to that when it, when it, if someone tells me something's really good I still want to check it like well just don't you believe me I, I think I believe you but I just want to see with my own eyes I want to check it out so Peter's running as fast as he can and he gets there and he gets to see with his own eyes. But Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. And he went home, marveling about what had happened. So faith is beginning to rise in Peter's heart. Maybe he did rise from the grave. So of the eleven, we got one that might be in. We got ten that are completely not in or doubting the reality of the resurrection. So if we're back to our news feed. 
Maybe even one of the, the 11 is, is commenting. I don't think it's real. I heard the lady saw something, but I think it's all a joke. I don't think it's real. Well, how do we know that the resurrection isn't a hoax? Let's look. We're going to jump down in the same account to verse 36. And Jesus is going to make it really clear that he not only died for the 11, but he rose as well. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Peace to you. I bring God's peace to you. There's some things in this this little section we're going to look at that to me strike me as funny. I'm not sure if they're supposed to be funny. But even that, you know, they're, they're grieving. They're not believing the ladies that love Jesus dearly. And he just shows up. Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened. And they thought they saw a spirit. These poor guys, if you, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are just moments in their lives when they're being trained as disciples where I'm sure their blood pressure was really high. I'm sure their heart rate was out of control at times because Jesus would just take them into these scenes and these events and these crazy situations so that Jesus could train them and demonstrate his power. And once again, he did it to them again and they're startled and they're afraid. They weren't ready. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Why are you troubled? Why are these doubts rising in your hearts? Maybe that's a question for some of you. That as you grapple with the reality of Jesus, doubt rises in your hearts. Well, the Lord wants to Settle those doubts and make things clear that maybe weren't as clear when you woke up this morning. So Jesus is with the disciples. He's going to give a full-on display of who he is and the fact that he's alive. He's giving a visual demonstration. First, he starts with his hands. See my hands and my feet? That is, I myself. Touch me. You can touch me. And see, it's really me. For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. So they're, they're like teetering. Well, this is wild. Looks like him. Even kind of feels like him. Sounds like him. And so they're, they're, they're checking him over. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, this is another one that strikes me as funny. Have you anything here to eat? You guys got any food? I'm hungry. I don't know if he really was hungry, but verse 42. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So Jesus, risen from the grave, having conquered sin and death, Hey, you guys have any fish? Anybody go trout fishing yesterday? You have anything to eat? And so he's just sitting down, just eating. And you can imagine the 11 are just like fixated on him. What in the world is going on? And he's just eating and eating his fish. 
Well, what he's doing there is he's demonstrating, it's me. I am back from the grave. I'm alive and well. Well, let's just work our way through a couple objections that, that people may have. So if you're going back to your Twitter feed or to whatever your, your, your news feed is, and you're thinking, what would the critics say? What are they going to say? Especially when word gets out that, hey, Jesus is having a fish dinner with the 11 disciples in a bigger crowd right now. What are they going to say? Well, some might say, some have said over the centuries, maybe the disciples had an extremely unlikely collective hallucination. So we got 11 guys plus a bigger crowd plus the ladies. Maybe they all just went out of their minds collectively at the same time and thought they saw the risen Christ. Very unlikely possibility. But even if that was possible, the Apostle Paul tells us something really important that just kind of shatters even that hypothesis. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 6. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I've received, that Christ Jesus the Messiah died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, with the Old Testament, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. So we got that part in our account already. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So not only did Jesus appear to the women, to the disciples, he eventually appeared to more than 500 people. At one time, and not only that, as the Apostle Paul is writing the book of Corinthians, he just throws in this line. Hey, by the way, most of those people that saw the risen Jesus before he ascended to heaven, they're still alive. You can go talk to them. You can go interview them. 500 eyewitnesses. Do you know in most court cases, one credible eyewitness closes the case? A group of credible eyewitnesses, it's not even a case. They're not even in the courtroom, most likely. But 500 eyewitnesses that when the Apostle Paul wrote could have been interviewed and testified. That's significant. Okay, well maybe it was Jesus, but maybe he was a ghost. So that could be an objection. Maybe, maybe it was just like a, a ghost that, that came around. Well, Jesus also levels that whole idea. He has them touch him. He has them look at his hands. So it's not like a look-alike Jesus. No, the scars are there in his hands and his feet. You can touch him. You can squeeze his arms. You can see him. You can't put your hand through his body. He's not not a spirit. It's the real risen Christ. And, like I said, he's even eating a meal in front of them. Full display of his humanity. Well, what if, okay, wasn't a ghost. I got it. What if he wasn't dead? What if he actually didn't die on that Friday? What if he just was bloodily crucified, appeared to be suffocating, was stabbed in the side, beaten to a pulp before he got there 
And he just somehow was put in the tomb and was okay. Well, if you think that's even plausible, study crucifixion and you'll see that's not plausible. Everybody suffocates by crucifixion. Even if it was plausible, the Jesus we're encountering on the third morning is not a Jesus who had spikes through his hands and his feet, who is barely able to move. No, it's a fully able-bodied Jesus, completely healed. There are scars now. Scars don't just form overnight. And so he's alive and well. So everything you could think of to refute the resurrection, Jesus is, is just showing, no, it's real. I really died and rose from the grave. But then maybe you think, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. Well, if you study church history and you study even the apostles in the Bible and the followers of Jesus who later begin to, to teach and preach God's word, all of them risk life and limb to tell of the risen Christ. All of them devoted their entire lives from that moment forward, from the ascension of Jesus, from Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. They spent decades sharing the good news of Jesus who died and rose from the grave. They didn't get fortune and fame for doing that. They got imprisonment. Church history would say most of them, if not all of them, died for their faith. They so believed what they were seeing that morning. And they knew that Jesus was the hope of the world. So he really did die, and he really did rise. Which brings us to the last question. How should we respond? What do we do with this? How should we respond to the indisputable fact of the resurrection? What should we do? See, Jesus' death and resurrection requires a response. Think about it this way. If you know a man who claimed that he was dying for the sins of the world, and let's say he was a good friend of yours, and you were there when he was killed, saw it with your own eyes, and then he had breakfast with you in your kitchen. You'd have to do something with that. What do I do with this? Because there's no denying the facts. So now I have to ask questions. Well, what is this all about? Well, even in this passage, we, we get some of the information of what we need to do with this. Look at verse 44. Then he said, Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Shorthand for the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled it all. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So they might have had experiences like we do where you read certain parts of the Old Testament. You're like, ah, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. I don't get it. Well, all of a sudden they got it. Jesus opened their minds to understand it. And they saw all these dots connect that couldn't 
They just couldn't do it in their minds before. And he said this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed to, in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. We get a lot of instruction of what to do there. The disciples are told, you need to go and proclaim repentance and faith. Turning and trusting in Jesus. Start in Jerusalem, work your way out to every inch of the globe. So, what that means for us, if you have not yet trusted in Jesus, the first response to the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is owning your sin and turning from it. Owning your self-righteousness, which is a cleaned up sin, and turning from it. And trusting in Jesus. Putting your whole faith and weight in the person who hung and bled and died on the cross as a substitute for your sins. See, there was a list of sins that you have done that Jesus took for you. He took the punishment for you. He took the wrath for it. And if you trust in Him, if you receive His payment, you believe that, yes, He did pay for my sins. Everything you've ever done in your life that was wrong, that was a sin against God and a sin against others, will be forgiven and washed away. And if you have never done that, today is the day to call out and ask Jesus to rescue you. We should turn and trust in the one who conquered sin and death. If you've done that, we should be amazed at the forgiveness for all of our sins and the acceptance that we have because Jesus opened the way wide for us. Listen to this psalm. It's just a little taste of some of the realities of the forgiveness that we can have in Jesus. The Lord is merciful. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in steadfast love. Abounding. Beaming with steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. The only way that's possible for God to be just, as Paul says, and the justifier, is there had to be a perfect Savior and substitute who could stand in our place. And his name is Jesus. And he rose from the grave. And because of that, verse 11 of Psalm 103 is true. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As high as the heavens are above the earth, Today, just go out in the daytime and in the nighttime, just look and stare. Think, think of this verse. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so great 
is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. He loves you so much more than you could ever imagine. It's this shocking, radical kind of love that has nothing to do with your performance. It has everything to do with the heart of a loving God who sent his son to rescue us. So a right response to the risen Christ is being amazed by the forgiveness and acceptance that we have if we have trusted in him. We should also marvel at the reality of the new life we have in Christ. See, if all the Bible taught was when you trust in Jesus, your slate is wiped clean and you are given a perfect record, which is Jesus, that would be good news. That would be really, really, really good news. So some of you watching or in the room have done some really bad things. And if Jesus paid for those really bad things and you put your trust in him, he did pay for them. That is really good news. You will not be held responsible because Jesus took it for you. So if that's all the Bible taught, that would be great news. But the Bible teaches so much more. One of the things it teaches is we can actually change as human beings. We can be different. Listen to this verse in Romans 6 where the Apostle Paul will will connect the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus to a change from the inside out in our behavior. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is talking about our union with Christ, not water baptism, but just our immersion and being united with Jesus into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that rose Jesus from the dead is in us if you're a Christian. You can be different. You do not have to keep doing the same sinful things over and over again. Whether it's anger or worry or fear, whatever grips you, Jesus rose so you can walk in newness of life. So much more powerful than any self-help book that you could ever read. The risen Christ The power of the Holy Spirit in you will produce fruit, will produce change that is lasting. That is good news. The last bit of good news I want to leave us with today is we should rest in the love of God displayed in the risen Christ. We should rest. I'm sure all of us have busy days today. One of the things I want you to think about, if you have called out to Jesus, I want you to really consider the love God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has towards you. If you are in Christ, he sees you as a son or a daughter. He delights in you. I mean, think of those of you who have younger children or grandchildren and The kids walk in the room, 
especially on holidays like today, and there's celebration, and there's joy, and you're excited to see them, and you're excited to, to give them gifts and enjoy time with them. Well, on a way grander scale, that's how God the Father sees his kids. That's even when Jesus was hanging on the cross. He was motivated by love for the lost. Love. Even love for his enemies. When he hung on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. His love is incredible. So if I could have the band come up, I'm going to read final verses from Romans 8. And then we're going to respond in singing. And then Aiden will, or I will close us in prayer. So let's, let's um, read Romans 8. You can all stand. And I want you to think of yourself right now in relation to how much God loves you. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you for the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of your precious Son. Holy Spirit, as we sing this final song, would you fill us with joy and wonder? Would you grant faith where there is not faith right now? Would you grant freedom where there has not been freedom? Would you replace condemnation with joy that is overflowing. And Lord, we will give you all the praise. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.